great to see everybody again. I hope that you're doing well. Nice to be back in person. I know it's been a, a long, long haul and uh, a lot of changes that have happened over the course of the last year or so, but it's uh, wonderful to be together in, in person. We're continuing our study on the book of Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit. And when we look at that incredible list of attributes, today we're focusing on faithfulness. And if there's a best example that we have right now in our time here in the world, an example of what faithfulness looks like is for sure our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. When you see the pullout that's happened there and the, the imminent danger that they face, you look at the faithfulness they have. I don't know if you've seen any of the videos that have come out, but uh, some of the Christians there, they, they block out the face, but they're Christians in Afghanistan who are talking about how tough it is for them and how they're looking in the next weeks, maybe not even weeks, maybe even days, and they may not be around anymore. And you think to yourself, how can they be so faithful? And the answer is, it doesn't happen by accident. That doesn't just get, you know, brought up in the heat of the moment or now the pressure's on and now I guess I gotta be faithful. These are Christians who for a long, long time have been faithful in their walk with Jesus, in their walk with Christ. And so today we wanna look at what does it mean to be faithful? How do we cultivate and develop faithfulness in our hearts, in our walk with Christ, and, and why is that even important? And so as we look into Galatians chapter 5 and 22 and we look at the, the fruit of the Spirit and we ask ourselves the question, what does it mean to be faithful? We want to be mindful and be in prayer. Many organizations today, uh, this, this particular day, are creating that as a day of prayer for the people in Afghanistan, for our Christian brothers and sisters that are there, and also for all other people who are suffering, right? Yes, we want to pray specifically for our Christian brothers and sisters, but the whole nation is in turmoil there, and it doesn't show any sign of, of getting any better. So in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, and uh, there it states, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I don't know when you, when you read those list of attributes of the Holy Spirit, how you feel about yourself. I, I look at that list and, you know, there's, there's some days you look at the, yeah, you know, not, not too bad, you know. Some of those are going good. Other times you look at that list like, gee, that's, that's not looking so sharp there, Paul. It's not, not as high as it should be. It reminds me of the story of Peter. And there's two wonderful stories of the miraculous catches of fish. There's the first one when Jesus first meets Peter. Then there's one later on in when Jesus has resurrected and there's 153 fish, which is a very critical number. It's not there by accident. But the first time, Peter is there and the miraculous catch of fish comes in and they got to bring their other guys to come in and catch everything and haul the fish in. Do you remember what Peter says to Jesus? Remember the words he uses? He says, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Like, why, why does he say that? Why does he say that? And part of the reason is that now he's coming into full contact with someone who totally embodies these characteristics. This is now the perfection. This is God incarnate. And he's got that feeling of, oh, oh, I'm not even close here, God. I don't, I, I'm, not, I'm not in this league. I just, I, I can't even be around here. But then the flip side to that happens a couple of chapters later. 
where Jesus is speaking with the Pharisees, and we'll get to those later on. And this woman comes in, and she's a sinner, and she anoints Jesus, and she takes her hair, and she starts drying off the anointing. And what does Jesus say about her? He says, whoever has been forgiven much loves much, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And the initial reaction might be, well, of course, because, you know, you know what she was doing. Like, that's a really bad sinner. And, you know, the rest of us, we're not as bad as she was, so, you know, we're, we're better off. But that's not actually the point Jesus is making. The point he's making is that all of us are sinners. She's the one that recognized it. And the closer we get to Jesus, it's a very bizarre and amazing thing that happens. On the one side, we look at who he is and think, like, Peter, I'm not like you. I'm not like you. You can feel a little bit despondent. But on the other side, once we recognize who Jesus is and where we're not, we have this awe and this amazement at who he is. And so our amazement and thrill of Jesus actually outweighs our discouragement of where we're not at yet. So it happens both at the same time, and this is what happens to us when we look at the Galatians and the fruit of the Spirit, that we should be in awe of who Jesus is. And as we follow him, as we look at him, as we place our trust in him, he begins to grow those things in us. What is faithfulness? It's trustworthiness. And our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan would tell you that it is sticking with the truth when the culture does not reinforce it. Sticking with the truth when our culture does not reinforce it. They are the best example in the world right now of how that's happening. And it fits perfectly within the whole context of the book of Galatians. I like uh, summaries, you know, Cole's Notes versions. You can summarize a whole book sometimes into one sentence. Book of Galatians is about justification by faith alone apart from works in the law. We don't really use the word justification anymore. It's you know, more of a biblical kind of term. It's not a common term that we use. But justification is where God, has an, by an act, declares you and I to be righteous because of who Jesus is. And that plays just earlier on in Galatians chapter 4. There's a long section that talks about Abraham. So just before we get into the fruit of the Spirit, the Apostle Paul talks about Abraham. And why does he bring up Abraham? Well, it's fascinating because he looks at the story of Abraham where Abraham uh, was promised to be the father of a big nation. He's getting older and he's getting older and it's not working. So what does he do? Well, he and Sarah agree that he's going to have a child with Hagar. Hagar has Ishmael. And God says, no, 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 I'm not doing it through Hagar. I'm doing it through Sarah. And he waits. And later on, Isaac is born. And so you have this incredible promise. And so why, why the, two, the two stories there? It's a great symbolic and literal representation of what God is speaking to us. And that is to say, we as followers of Jesus Christ are children of the promise. We're not here to try and force these attributes through. We're not trying to force ourselves to be more loving and peaceful and joy. It's a, and that's a big, long list. I mean, you try and go through that, and it's a lot to keep in your mind. But it's a great indication to see this is who Jesus is. And he works that in us and works that through us as we put our faith and our trust in him. So instead of looking to ourselves to ask ourselves, boy, how, how faithful am I? How, how loving am I? 
you know, all these different kinds of things, to ask ourselves, am I enthralled and in awe of who Jesus is? You and I will become what we focus on. Business cultures know this. Sports cultures know this. It's all derived from a true representation of what Christ says, that as we focus on Christ, we become more like him. So let's have a look at a couple of verses. There's Revelation 19, verse 11. Revelation 19, verse 11. I love this verse in uh, where John the Revelator says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. It's important that we keep those two together. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. So we need to recognize that it is Christ himself who is faithful. What is generating the passion for following Christ for our Afghan brothers and sisters is not some ideological, I must be faithful, but it's years of following Jesus Christ, his Holy Spirit working in them to make them faithful. Why? Because Jesus is faithful. The next slide will show us that in 2 Timothy 2, verse 13, that if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Those are great words of encouragement if you've blown it this week or you blew it last week or you know, things are disintegrating for whatever reason. That God remains faithful to us. The reason that we have the opportunity to be faithful is because he's faithful. He engineers that in the first place. So the ability to stand up against cultural pressures. You know, we, we live in Canada, but we can already see, not that it's remotely like Afghanistan, but we can see that many things that generations ago were held dear by our culture and loved by our culture, it's just evaporating and it's disappearing. And so how do we as followers of Jesus Christ stay faithful? And if Christians in Afghanistan can stay faithful under their massive persecution, certainly we can rise to the challenge in our country to continue to love people, continue to love Jesus Christ supremely and to be faithful to him. In John chapter 15, we talk about how we can't produce faithfulness. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And so when we look at these great fruit of the Spirit, it's somebody, it's indicative of someone who's walking with Jesus. You know, the number one compliment the Bible ever pays someone is not that they parted the Red Sea, not that they raised somebody from the dead, not that they were used to heal thousands of people, although all that's valid, not that they weren't used to uh, preach sermons and thousands got saved. The number one compliment the Bible ever pays someone is he walked with God. So it's by no accident the Apostle Paul starts off this section by saying, walk by the Spirit. And so we cannot produce this on our own. The Christian life is a supplied life. Um, when we wear masks, I actually find sometimes that, you know, it's a little bit tougher to breathe, right? It reminds us of how critical we need oxygen. Oxygen is a supply to our lives to keep us living. And the Christian life in itself is a supplied life. We don't create this life. The next slide, we talk about, well, how does obedience actually grow? If we want to cultivate faithfulness, we don't produce faithfulness, but through obedience, we can cultivate faithfulness in our lives, faithfulness to the word of God, faithfulness to our spouse, faithfulness to the Holy Spirit, faithfulness to stand up for Christ and not give in when the pressure mounts. Jesus says, I am the vine, 
you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. And so the Apostle Paul is coming back in Galatians to this particular passage where it talks about abiding in Christ. So how do you grow in faithfulness? Do we just say, well, hey, it's all in the Holy Spirit, so it's on him and he better do this all. But the Bible gives us numerous things. We'll focus just on three of them, one in particular. How do we grow in faithfulness? How do we walk in the Spirit? First one is to have faith and trust and to be people who love the Word of God, to love the Word of God. We have to ask ourselves important questions in our walk with Jesus. What, what thrills you? What, what do you really love? What for you is passionate? What for you really gives you the sense of, oh, this is the ultimate in my human experience? Is it spending time with Christ? Is it spending time in his word? And the things that we love are the things that we spend time on, and the things that we love will be an indication to us as to where we're at in our walk with Jesus. I love the passage in Ezra 7, verse 10. You know, as we go through our Christian walk, there's different times when we're in different books of the Bible or different verses. Ezra 7 and 10 has become uh, very, very dear to me. It says, for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Three keys that we see about the word of God. Number one is to be students of the word of God. Are you someone that loves to study the word of God? Do you love to be in the word? Doesn't mean it's always easy. That's sometimes very difficult. It's tough to, to go through, but it's amazing how whenever I start a new book in the Bible to study, it's like, oh, I've read this book a number of times, and all of a sudden, the first word of the very first verse in that book, suddenly things become new again, and you see different things. And so Ezra was someone who studied the law of the Lord, and he also practiced what he read. Not only did he take time to read the Bible, to spend time with Jesus. And there's a difference. Sometimes we can read the Bible but not spend time with Jesus. There's a difference. You want to spend time with Jesus as you're reading the Word. And that would also be something that we'd teach to other people. So all of this sounds pretty straightforward, right? Sounds pretty, pretty obvious. So what's the problem? What, what's happening in our Western culture? Why, why is there this disintegration in, in certain circles? Why is there this falling away, so to speak? Why, what's, what's happening? Why, how did we get to this place? Why, we turn the clock back you know, a couple of generations. What, what's happened in that sense? Why, why are Afghan Christians able to stand there and be willing to take a bullet for Christ? Yet many other Christians here in Canada the full-on lap of luxury, I don't, I don't think there's a better country in the world. You could argue, you know, some of the, but basically we're among the best of the best in the world for places to live. Why under such smaller, I wouldn't even call it persecution, but smaller cultural forces, is there this whoo, exodus? What happened? What happened? First off, there can be a falling away from the small W word of God and a capital W Word of God. Remember, capital W refers to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Small w refers to the printed page, which is the Bible, right? Both of them are obviously related, but they're not exactly the same thing. That's why you see a capital W. Uh, in John, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. That's referring to Jesus Christ. And so what happens is that when we look back at Jesus' time, uh, he was 
fighting against a lot of different groups. Two of them were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, we hear those names, but they're two very different groups of people. The Pharisees were people who loved rules. Rules made them happy. Rules made them feel safe. So they had rules, but not only did they take the biblical rules, they were so intent on making sure they wouldn't break those rules that they now invented additional rules that would go all the way around those rules, kind of like building a fence. You don't want anyone to come into your fenced yard, so you build another fence around your fence so that if someone broke through the first fence, they wouldn't get through the second fence. The problem was is that the Pharisees saw everything. Their idea of being faithful was by following rules and by following rules and not just biblical rules, their own rules, which they then set up to be as equal as God's rules. So now they've abandoned love, the Lord your God, that was gone. That was completely evaporated from them. This was about a rule set, and that's where 632-odd rules or whatever it was, and there's this huge mindset to do that. Then we get to the far other side, the Sadducees, whereas the Pharisees were very strict with the law, the Sadducees would have been much, much loose. They would have been the complete opposite end. The Apostle Paul makes reference to this. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe even in a resurrection. How in the world do you read the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures at that time, and not come away with there being a resurrection? So the faithfulness of the Pharisees and the Sadducees were things that Jesus was constantly fighting against. But today, we have a different challenge. It says Romans 6.10. That's my error. It should be Romans 6.1. Okay, Romans 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace might increase? Pharisees and Sadducees are alive and well today. The challenge we face today in part of our Western world culture is this belief that says, well, what, why do I have to believe the Bible? If I'm saved and if I'm going to heaven, what? Why bother? The extent to which the Bible lines up with what I think, I'll do it. But if it does not line up with what I think, I won't do it anymore. So it becomes this game where it's like a buffet, like, yeah, I'll take that, I won't take that, I'll take that, I won't take that. How did that happen? And part of it is where the Apostle Paul talks about this and he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? In other words, if my sins are all forgiven, what difference does it make? Ananias and Sapphira learned that lesson the hard way in the book of Acts. They lied about how much they had sold, and they brought the price to the apostles, laid it down, and lied about what happened one at a time, and they dropped down dead. And the Bible says, and great fear came over all who heard it, both Christians and non-Christians. Everybody who heard it felt terrified about that. But after a while, somebody would have had to have risked lying again. Somebody was the first guy or girl who would have said, uh, yeah, that's the full thing. And then there's the big wait, you know, am I going to get struck down dead? Didn't happen. So over time, they lost the Ananias and Sapphira effect. And so faithfulness became almost like Paul is saying in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Why, why am I bothering to do this? And this is where we get to the actual heart of why you and I are following Christ. One of the problems in the Western world is this constant belief in individualism, that at the end of the day, everything has to be for me. I'll do it as long as I am benefiting. Our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan are not benefiting right now, not at all. Why? Why are they so faithful, and why are some, not all, 
some here in the West abandoning it. It's because the core belief has completely changed. We don't know why we exist anymore. We don't know why we exist. We think, well, I, I don't know, did he die there for me to have the life that I want and this is what I want, so if it doesn't fit in, then it can't be. And I, the Bible says we exist for the praise of his glory. Life becomes very, very easy when you see things from God's perspective. He created us because he loves us, because he wants his Holy Spirit to be in us, and that he wants to live his life in us and live through us. When we, ask, when we start asking ourselves the question, not how can I be happy, but to ask ourselves the question, how can I bring glory to God? How does the Bible teach me in this circumstance to bring glory to God? We get the completely different worldviews. So how can our brothers and sisters there in Afghanistan be standing up under persecution? Many of you have had relatives, parents, grandparents, great-grandparents who've been through this. They've been through wars where their faith was challenged and if they stuck to the word of God, they were murdered right there in their homes. Many of you can relate to that. And so why are they able to do that? Because they got the core question right. Faithfulness to Jesus Christ. Faithfulness to say that I exist for God. What is glory? Glory is where God looks down and sees himself. So when the Holy Spirit is in us, the extent to which we agree and follow and love the word of God and trust in him is the extent to which we reflect back to God who he is. That's the whole point of life, to glorify God. And so it becomes very easy. Well, is this gonna make me happy? Well, why are we asking that question? How was this gonna glorify God? And this is how our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan are able to stand up under pressure. When I was in Bible school some 30 years ago now, we memorized Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, another great verse in this wonderful book that Paul wrote to the Galatians. I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. Very countercultural, right? Even by today's standards here in Canada, very countercultural. Afghan Christians would just shrug their shoulders and say, well, that's obvious. Of course it's obvious. It's obvious to you. It's obvious to me. This is how we know we will be able to stand up when pressure comes against us. I know you think, well, it's Canada. It'll never happen here. Maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow. But you know, my, my forefathers in Russia thought the same thing. They thought, it's Russia. Nothing's going to happen here. Catherine the Great, we moved over here. A lot of things can change in a very short amount of time. So let's be faithful to trust the Word of God, capital W, Word of God, and to be faithful people who love reading the Word of God. The next way in which we can be faithful is to be faithful in prayer. To be faithful in prayer. As your prayer life goes, so goes your walk with Jesus. As your prayer life goes, so goes your walk with Jesus. 100% of the people that you look at and think that is a solid follower of Jesus Christ, 100% of them are people who spend an incredible, inordinate amount of time on their knees praying. And I don't just mean like in a closet, I mean during the day, right? Sometimes life can get so busy, you're bouncing around between so many things, you haven't got time to spend an hour. Yeah, I get it. But these are people who are during the day walking with Christ. Romans 12 and 12 says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, that's one for our brothers there today. Be constant in prayer. Other translations say be faithful in prayer. 
Jesus, the, probably the, one of the best examples of, uh, of prayer is uh, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. The word Gethsemane means olive press. That's what the word means. And so when olives come and they're harvesting, they go through a crushing stage where there's a beam in the middle, a donkey on the outside, and a big stone that goes around in a circle, and you dump the olives, and they crush them all together. It becomes this big mush. And they put all that mush into baskets, more like kind of like bags, not the way you and I would think of a wicker basket, more like a bag sort of idea, and they hang that up, and the first part of the oil comes out. That's the best part, and that's what gets used in the temple. Then what happens is they take those bags and they crush them down again. They put even more weight on them, and they hang them up again. The second part comes out, and that part is used for cooking. It's used for cosmetics. It's used for medicinal purposes. It's not as good, but it's still useful. The third time it goes down, they use even heavier weights, and they crush it and crush it and crush it some more. And that last part that comes out is typically used in lamps. It's kind of the low-grade sort of, uh, of oil. If you look at you know, supreme, medium, and lower-quality gas, that kind of idea. Why is that important? Jesus prayed three times in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's important, the Bible says that he was in great anguish. And the reason that's important for us to stay faithful in prayer is because it's so easy to quit. It's so easy to quit prayer. There's so many reasons to not pray. I get distracted. I have other things I want to do. I've tried prayer. It's not working. I've been praying for this person for 20 years. Nothing has changed. In fact, it's gotten worse. I'm losing heart. In the list just goes on and on and on. So why? Why continue to pray? Because I'm going to get all the stuff that I want. No, even though entire denominations are formed around that kind of idea. Why? Because being faithful in prayer brings glory to God. Same thing as before. God is glorified when you and I, like that faithful widow, are praying and continue to pray and don't give up. That's the reason for why we pray. So the fact that we get the things that we ask of God, fantastic, but it doesn't deter us from our prayer doesn't deter us from that. So if you're in a time of prayer now and you know, it, it's cloudy and it's not working and things are not piecing together, hold on to your prayer times. Hold on to doing that. Sometimes we're only a short way away from seeing something incredible happening. But even if it gets delayed, stay faithful in prayer. Faithfulness to God. Faithfulness in prayer cultivates Christ living in us and living through us. And last, faithful in serving Jesus, faithful in serving Jesus. In Isaiah 58, verses 6 to 8, part of that verse says, is not this the fast that I choose? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? It's a very curious way to end that passage. And not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Interesting, isn't it? I find that fascinating. You guys do a fantastic job of reaching your community here. You should know that. You could do a great, great job of reaching out to people in the community, in the neighborhood here. And that is something that we as followers of Jesus Christ have always been known for. Not that NGOs and other groups don't do a good job. They do do a good job. But as Christians around the world, we have always shown that disproportionate to our numbers, we do incredible things all over the world. Even atheists will say it, it's remarkable how Christians will leave everything, go into slums, go into inner cities, and live there and work there and help people. And so as we study what it means to be faithful, 
we want to remind ourselves that it's not a question of trying to produce something. We can't do that. However, there are certain things that we can do and we can teach others around us to do, which is to stay faithful in the Word of God, to be people who love reading the Bible, who love spending time with Jesus. And as we do that, that will begin to dispel all these different cultural forces that are constantly attacking us. Our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan don't just wake up one day once the Americans have left and now the Taliban have come in and suddenly they can rise to the occasion and be ready to fight for their lives and to give their lives if necessary for Christ. That does not happen like that. It happens because over time, day by day, moment by moment, they are walking with Jesus. And day by day they're saying, how can my life bring glory to God? How can what I do bring glory to God? So I want to encourage us this morning with that. I want to encourage us to be faithful that in this long list of attributes, this is what Christ will work in us. And we can see the fruit in the Afghani people's lives of how they're staying faithful to Christ. That's a question for us to ask ourselves. How am I glorifying God in business decisions, in relationships that I'm in, in my free time? And you may not have much free time, but if you do have free time, how am I doing in school, in my conversations? Is this glorifying God, yes or no? And the extent to which we can say yes to that is the extent to which we grow. The extent to which we can't say yes to that is the extent to which we fall away. But as Second uh, Timothy says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He's a forgiver of sins. He loves you. He cherishes you. Uh, I want to close with a time of prayer uh, specifically for our, uh, our brothers and sisters uh, in Afghanistan and uh, to encourage them in their, their walk, that our prayers would encourage them to stay faithful. Uh, they're going to be under a huge time of testing, massive, massive testing. This is, this is Book of Acts kind of testing, right? We see this in, throughout the Bible. And uh, there are brothers and sisters there. So we want to pray for them. Uh, we want to pray for their deliverance. And we don't always know everything that's happening. The Apostle Peter was released from prison. The Apostle Paul ended up dying, uh, likely in a Roman prison from what we know. So we want to be mindful and, and to pray for them, not just today, but with our time uh, this week. So why don't we have a word of prayer? Father, thank you for your love for us. Lord, you are faithful. You are the God who invented faithfulness. You are by nature faithful 100%. When we are faithless, you are faithful. You are faithful and true. You're faithful and true to your word and to your Bible, Lord, to your son, Jesus. And Lord, thank you that we have the opportunity to know you and to love you. And we need you, God. We love you so much. And we, we want to be used by you and have our lives uh, be glorifying to you. We pray, God, for our dear brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, uh, the videos that are coming out of them and how they're explaining how difficult it is for them. Father, we want to hold up our brothers and sisters in prayer. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ that uh, they will not lose faith. We pray against temptation. We pray against the, um, the easy way out of throwing out their Christianity, their faith in you, and joining the Taliban to preserve their lives. Lord, they're being tested in the most severe way. And we pray in the name of Christ, Lord, that they will stand up under persecution. I pray, God, that the testimonies of so many Christians who have gone before them uh, will be an encouragement to them, that they will be able to stand firm knowing that you are a God who has both delivered people, uh, like Daniel from the lion's den. You've also walked with people through persecution 
like so many Christians throughout our times, especially in the, in the first century, Lord, where you walk with Christians through that. We pray, Father, that our brothers and sisters will remain faithful to you, that they will glorify them. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain, and that our brothers and sisters there, Lord, will walk in that space where you are both capable and we pray for their deliverance. To be clear, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ against the Taliban regime. We pray for the Taliban to surrender to you and to give their lives to you. We pray, Father, for the Christians who are there, Lord, to stand up under persecution, to be delivered from that, and that, Lord, that you will be glorified in them being faithful. And we look forward to seeing them one day somewhere in heaven, Lord. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.